are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We are in chapter 4. We're over, over the hump of, of the middle of the book. So chapter 4, and we got a few more weeks we should finish up right before Advent uh, season. I can't, can you believe it's almost Christmas? Great day in the morning. That's... You better order your stuff now because apparently everything's backlogged anyway. So you better order your Christmas presents, people, or else you're going to be going to the Dollar General the night of. Um, many of y'all have dogs. You know that I have dogs. Uh, they are a significant part of our fam. Uh, and I don't know how it works for you guys. Maybe you kind of like, you know, you ordered your dog online or you, you know, got some breeder. With the Fowlers, we never plan on getting a new dog. It just happens. All right, you just all of a sudden, oh, here's a new dog. And, and so we adopt most of our dogs from Humane Society or they're free or they're cheap, uh, cheap dogs, which by, let me just give you some pastoral insight. There is no such thing as a free dog, okay? It does not exist because the universe will not allow that to happen. There's something in the cosmic universe that if you get a free dog, it's like, no, 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 that's not fair. We're going to make this happen so that you're not, so everyone is paying thousands of dollars. You're going to, you're just going to balance out the scales there. And so that happens. So with our newest dog, Maverick, who is a, they think he's Grand Pyrenees and Lab, who knows? I don't know what he is, but he's sweet. He's going to be big because dogs should be big because Ron Swanson is right. Any dog under 50 pounds is a cat and cats are pointless. And so, um, so anyway, <laughs> so we get Maverick, and day one's great. Day one's great. He's a great dog, loves Maisie, our, our, our lab, uh, just to get, to get get along great. Day two, great. He's doing great. Sweet as can be, loves us, great temperament. Day three is when the universe gets even. So day three is when Maverick starts throwing up everywhere. Not just throw up, people. Liquid D Everywhere. Even by the screen door, and you know how the screen door works? It's got those crevices. Oh, yes. Fills the crevices, right? And so you, you can imagine the joy of the Lord that's in our soul as we're cleaning out crevices of, of liquid D from this dog. Let me tell you something. In that moment, you wish you could go back three days earlier and walk by that little kennel and say, oh, you're cute. Not for me. And keep walking, Right? Because if you would know, if you would have known that this was going to turn out like this three days later, you would probably make a different choice. That's, that's the reality of our lives. If, if, if I, and, and not just in getting the dog, in life, if you knew that this decision right here, if you could see down the line 10, 15 years, it was going to result in chaos and difficulty and struggle, how many of us, were, if we're honest, would say, uh, I'll take door number two, Alex. Thank you very much. I don't need to add that to my life. I don't need that struggle. Few of us would make choices that would make our lives more difficult, more challenging, hard. And in walks Peter. And what Peter's going to say to us today, he says, I know it's going to be hard. It's going to bring chaos. It's going to be struggle. It's going to bring the S word. It's going to bring suffering. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the dog. Peter is going to tell us, choose the dog. Get the dog. Choose the harder path, which is like, are you kidding me? 
And he's even telling us it's going to be harder. And he's going to say, get the dog anyway. And the reason why is what we're going to look at today. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 4, that's what we're going to talk about. He's writing to a group of people. He calls them exiles. Why? Because they don't fit anymore because they're faith in, in, in Christ. They're, they're followers of Jesus and so they just don't fit. Their value system's different. Their family is different. Everything is different. And there's this underlying theme of what? Suffering that's through the book, right? And, and so the idea uh, constantly is coming up and that's why he's writing in the first place. He's writing to a group of people who are like, man, we're, we're doing everything God's asked us to do and things are harder and it's difficult and there's a struggle and Peter's writing, yes, but don't quit. Don't give up, right? Keep going because it's easy to give up. It's easy to just cave. It's easy to just go with the flow. It's easy to just least common resistance, right? That's the easy place. That's where we tend to go. I mean, if you have two choices laid out in front of you, uh, in, in teenagers, it's a perfect... Perfect example. If one thing is hard and one thing is easy, you can take next semester organic chemistry or badminton. What are you choosing? Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Nobody takes organic chemistry. The doctors hate organic chemistry. Talk to them. None of them passed. They get like 30s. No one's choosing that. And Peter says, choose it. And he's going to tell us why, right? Why we should get the dog, all right? So let me read the entirety of our text so you can kind of get the flow of it. It's just six verses, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about what he's gonna kind of encourage us and challenge us with. Verse one of chapter four. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead, that though Judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So I started off saying, if you knew that fill in the blank was going to result in chaos, would you still choose fill in the blank? And most of us, if we're honest, said, no way. Peter doesn't give that option. He doesn't. He starts off, he says, since therefore. Remember, when you see the therefore, you ask what it's what? Awesome. Some of you are learning, right? Since Therefore, what? What Clint talked about last week. Since Jesus suffered in the flesh. And when when Peter is using the word flesh, it's different than when Paul is using flesh, just so you know. Paul, when he uses the word flesh, he's talking about your old nature, your old desires, more metaphorical. Peter's physical. He said, in the flesh is in your body. Since, therefore, Jesus suffered physically in his body. Right? Did he do that? Yes. Here's what's ironic. Peter was the one who tried to stop Jesus from suffering physically, didn't he? Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to suffer. He says, no way, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And then in the garden, when, when they're coming to get him so he can go suffer, he's the one fighting with the sword. Now he's saying this, because that was happening, because that was true, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. It's a military metaphor, and it's a command. It's do it, do this now. Gear up, soldier. 
get ready. Arm yourselves to what? Suffer. How? Just like Jesus suffered physically. Get ready to do that. And it's linked back to what he's been talking about the whole time. It's better to suffer for doing what is right than what is wrong, right? If you're going to get punished, be be punished for being righteous, not for unrighteous. Here's the point. Here's the big idea. When you come to the choice in life, I can follow God no matter what the cost, or I can disobey and just go with the flow. What choice are you going to make? The easy or the hard? Peter says, get the dog. Do what's right. Make this choice, right? Because here's, here's the reality. Here's the principle that you cannot escape. I tell our young folks this, our high school, our college students, every opportunity I get, okay? You can choose your actions or you can choose your consequences, but you don't get to choose both, Okay? Understand, this is a principle that's built into the, to the, to the universe by God. It's a reaping and sowing. You can choose your actions. You can choose your consequences. You don't get to choose both. Let me, let me illustrate. You can choose the action to eat fast food for lunch every day. Big Mac, this, this, French fries, shake. You can choose that. You can choose to be sedentary. You can choose to be lazy and, and just eat like junk. But you, if you do that, which is your choice, you don't get to choose the consequences. You know what the consequences are? You're growing a mega temple, mega church. Your heart is unhealthy. Your arteries are clogged. Your knees are sore and your ankles hurt because you have too much weight. You don't sleep well. Down the line, your lifespan is shortened. You're a pre-diabetic. I don't, fill in the blank. All sorts of consequences from eating Poorly. Flip side, you say the consequence. What I want is to have a healthy lifestyle where I uh, extend my life and my quality of life physically because I just want to feel better. I mean, if you're after 40, let's be honest, there is no feeling good in the morning, but you can feel okay and adequate. Um, I didn't realize that until I turned 40, but um, I want that as my consequence. Good. If that's the consequence you choose, then you don't get to choose the actions. Those are laid out for you. You know what they are? Get into the gym. Start eating a salad once in a while, this thing called greens, right? Uh, just cut out the fats and the sugar and this. That, that path is laid out for you, right? You don't get to choose it. You can choose the actions or you can choose the consequences. You don't get to choose both. Take it to academics. You're in college. Uh, I want to make honor roll or I want to get into med school or I want to I score this in my LSAT. Great. That's the consequence you want. Guess what you have to do? Go to class. Study. Get ready. When all the buddies are like, hey, it's two for Tuesday. We're going out to X and Y. You're like, nope, I'm studying. That's the path that's laid out for you if you want to get into law school, med school, whatever. Flip side, if you say, I'm going to sleep in and skip class and I'm going to get my degree in call of duty instead of uh, business and I'm going to be lazy and, and do all these things and not study, you don't get to choose the consequences. You're a 2-0 and go, which is fine. There's us, those of us out there that still got jobs. But I'm just saying, you don't get to choose the consequences and the actions. You got to choose one or the other. And what Peter is saying here is this. You can say, I want the, the consequence of being a follower of Jesus. Awesome. That is the best choice. But because you choose that consequence, you don't get to choose the path. You know what the path is? It's been chosen for you. Arm yourselves for suffering. Get the dog. 
Or you can blend in, you can uh, you know, go with the flow, just do what I want, don't, you know, don't want my boss to know, don't want my parents to know, don't, don't. you could do that, but then you don't get to call yourself Christian because it's not. And you don't have the assurance that you're a follower of God because the only assurance that we have that we, as we, we're gonna see, is, is our lives. And we have, the, we have eternal security. It's a different, different, different doctrine here. But the assurance is that I'm walking with God, right? That's what he's saying. Don't miss it. Get the dog, right? Get the dog. And, and don't choose the path of least resistance. And before we move on into the, the why, I, I wanna just briefly tell you, how can you arm yourself? So let, me, let me give you some practical things just on the surface because it's important that we just know, yeah, I need to arm myself. What does that mean? So let me give you a couple things. Number one way you arm yourself is you know what God says. That seems real simple, but it's real actually big. Right? Know what God says. You, you need to be filling your mind with, with Scripture. You need to spend time reading this Bible, listen to good podcasts, read good books, uh, watch good sermons. Here's the thing, you have more access now to information than ever before, and the church is more biblically illiterate than they have ever been before. We, we, we cannot be there, right? And this is why you have churches that are caving on, on things that are very clear in scripture. I'm not talking about gifts of the spirit and modes of baptism, I'm talking about male and female. Very clear in scripture. And you, and you have them caving all over because they don't know what God says or they don't care what God says. This is why earlier, Clint looked at this last week, verse 15, you gotta be ready to give a defense of what you believe with gentleness and reverence, not arrogance, but you gotta know. And so know what God says. Get into community is another way because it, this command, by the way, is y'all. It's not you individual, it's y'all. Y'all arm yourselves. Why? Because if you get hit, you need someone to throw you on their back and to carry you. And if you're down, you need someone to lift you up. And if you're, if you're in a place where you might lose your job, if I do this, but if I do this, I'm gonna follow Jesus, you need someone that's gonna say, you lose your job for your faith, we got you. You're not gonna starve because we're here. You need that. We all do. And y'all, if things keep going the way they are in our country, you're gonna need it more than you think. I'm just telling you. Because we're gonna be more and more isolated I would say another thing to do is stay informed on what the issues are right now where the church is under attack. This is very important, right? You got podcasts like Al Mohler's uh, Briefing that you can listen to that'll let you know Christian worldview on this. Uh, Bodhi Balkum wrote a, a book called uh, Fault Lines, uh, just dealing with like race relations. Great little read. It's worth your time. Uh, you have questions about, what does Bob say about homosexuality? Kevin Young wrote a book called what does the Bible call, say about homosexuality? It's a great little read. It's a hundred pages. It's easy read. You, you just need to be up to, up to speed on what's going on. Russell Moore wrote a book called Onward a few years ago, just dealing with, with stuff. There's tons of resources. You gotta be out there looking at them. And I would say this too. Read the stories of those who have gone before you that have faced opposition and thrived. They're all throughout the Bible. You can read Daniel. You wanna know what it looks like to suffer? Read Daniel. Read Life of Elijah. Read the book of Acts. Go get you a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I think you can get it on Audible for free. If you have Audible, it's a freebie. Right? Read, read some of the Fox's Books of Martyrs, just seeing some of the folks that have gone ahead of us. I was looking at um, that this week. Came across a guy, never saw him before, named John Rogers. He's 
cousin of Roy Rogers, right? You don't even know who Roy Rogers is, half of you. That's so sad. Only like three of you, right? Remember the restaurant Roy Rogers too, back in the day? Okay. So this guy named John Rogers lived in the 1500s. He was the first martyr of Bloody Mary, uh, of the Protestant, uh, just kind of purged. She killed over 300 uh, folks, but he was the first one. You know what he did? This is what he got killed for. He continued translating the Bible into English, Ooh. right, following Tyndale, and he preached against the, some of the false doctrines of the Roman church, the papacy and some other things. He's preached, he preached the Bible. He, do, he does what I'm doing right now, and he translated the Bible into English, and they burned him at the stake. And here's what was, stood out to me about this guy. He had 10 kids. Uh, his youngest was uh, an infant when he was, was killed. And so they throw him in jail and they do the thing and they put him on trial or as a heretic. And so they, they're walking him out to burn him at the stake and his family is all staring, standing there. His wife and their 10 children. And they give him an opportunity to recant. They say, if you recant what you've done, we'll forgive you, all be forgiven. What would you do? You're walking to be burned at the stake. There's your wife. There's your 10 kids. You have a chance to live and go home and have a turkey dinner. Or you can go get burned. What are you going to do? All because you translated the Bible in English and you said the Pope is not really who he says he is. You know what John Rogers did? He kept walking right to his death. And the, the, the a French ambassador at the time was there and saw this. And this is what he wrote of the scene. He says, as Rogers went to his death, it was as if he was walking to his wedding. What? See, that's the kind of story I need to hear to give me some spiritual steel in my spine, right? To arm myself. This is the command. This is what he's saying. Get the dog. Get the dog. And now he's going to tell us why. Let's, let's, let's keep going. So arm yourselves with the same way of thinking why. Here's that key word for. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Does that mean if you suffer that you're perfect and sinless? No. If you say you are, you're a liar and you're not anymore. Peter suffered and he still sinned. Paul suffered. He wrote Romans 7. He still sinned. So what is he talking about? Thankfully, he clarifies for us. This in verse two. So, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passion, but for the will of God. Again, the rest of your time in, in, the, in the body that you are living for something different. Here's the idea. Here's why he says, if you suffer, you cease from sin. Because when you are willing to choose to do what is right, no matter what the cost, instead of going here and doing sin and kind of blending in, you are showing that you have made a break with the old. You're showing that there is something new about you, New Testament language, that you were born again. When you are denying yourself what you want, and let's be honest, can we be honest in church and not lie? Sometimes saying no is hard, isn't it? Sometimes you want something so bad. Maybe it's that addiction that you've been feeding for 20 years and you're trying to fight it. Maybe it's that relationship that you know it is so unhealthy, it is not good for your soul, it is not, you're, you're living in sin, and you, you, you don't want to break up because it's going to hurt. Yes, that's why he uses the language of suffering. It is. 
When you have been finding life from something, some addiction, some this, some false God, and it's been how you have you felt good about yourself for all this time, when you put it to death, it hurts. It stings. That's the point, right? That's the point. But here's, here's where his main idea is. This is why we get the dog, because it proves who you are. It proves that you are what you say you are when you've made a break with the old and you say, I'm choosing to follow God, not the passions of the flesh. This is the same word that he's used in chapter one when he says, don't be conformed to your former passions. This is the same word he used in chapter two when he said, abstain from the fleshly lusts of the, of the world. And now he's saying, when you choose to live for God's will instead of this, it proves that you are who you say you are. It makes it clear, right? It doesn't make you a follower of God. It just it proves it. It's assurance that it's happening. How do you know I'm a dog lover? Is it because I tell you? Well, maybe. No, it's because I have two dogs. And, and I've had multiple dogs, right? Now, that doesn't make me a dog lover. It shows that I am a dog lover. When there's dogs at Forsyth Park and I'm like, ah, and I run up, I do that because I, I love dogs, Again, just because I don't say, I want to be a dog lover. Let me go get dogs. No, that's not how it works. I already am a dog lover, so I go and get dogs. If you tell me, I love dogs too, and I go to your house, and all I see is 15 cats and a thing of meow mix, I'll call you a liar. You're a heretic. That's not true. You can say that you love dogs, and all I see is these cat-like things. Get behind me, Satan. There's only one good cat, Aslan, and the Lion of Judah, too, okay? Those are the only two good cats. But the point is this. Living in a way that you deny yourself and makes a break with the old is proof that you're born again. It is proof. And if you don't, then you have no proof. So he says, arm yourself. When you... Arm yourself with this kind of thinking and maybe you face ostracism or criticism or any other ism. It shows that you are following God. It is what we call fruit. It's walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. It is letting your light shine before men. It is working out, not working for your salvation with fear and trembling. It's your calling. It's what God has called for you. It's not what makes you a Christian. It is proof that you are a Christian. What makes you a Christian is my faith in the substitutionary atonement and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what makes me a Christian. But this shows that it's real. And that is why he says, get the dog. Get the dog. Arm yourselves with this thinking. And so the question for us, you gotta ask, you gotta look up from your Bible at this point and say, what do I wanna do with the rest of my life? Because that's what he says, right? He He says, that you are, are, are gonna have the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I don't know how much the rest of your time is. It may be 15 minutes, it may be 55 years. I can tell you this. Someone that's in this room right now or in first service will not be here next year, statistically speaking. Thousand plus people, someone's gonna be with the Lord. What are you gonna do with the rest of your time? That's the point. What are you going to do with your 5, 15, 50 years? What are you going to do? Are you going to spend it on trying to get stuff and trying to be liked and all this? Or are you going to spend it on the will of God? You've got to ask that question. Because if you're, yeah, Jesus is fine, but I've got a lot of living to do. I've got a lot of stuff I still want to get and go and do. And I don't want my boss to really know what I believe. And I, I don't want my parents to think I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I don't really know if my friends can handle what I believe. And Get the dog. 
enough. Get the dog. Arm yourselves. Be who you are. Be who God calls us to be. Yeah, it's harder. But we're going to see why in a minute. Second thing, uh, and it's significant. So first thing is, proves who you are. Verse three. This is the second thing. And again, look at the language. Uh, four. Again, explanatory. He's explaining. Why should we live the rest of our time uh, for God, for the will of God, not for our passions. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles, that's his word for non-believers, want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. He's saying the past is enough. Why should you spend the rest of your time living for God? Because you filled the rest, your past is, is enough time doing all that junk. It's full. It suffices. I used to go to Starbucks before I learned that there was something called real coffee in the world, okay? Because uh, Starbucks sells fake coffee, um, or at least lousy coffee. And they used to ask that question when I'd go you know, to the front, and they would say, do you want room for cream? And there's only one real answer for people who are coffee drinkers. No. Amen. All right? Hallelujah. Uh, there's only one way to drink coffee, y'all. Cream and sugar is not... That's syrup. All right? Go eat a bowl of Frosted Flakes if you want that. Okay, drink your coffee the way it's meant to be, black. Anyway, so, but I used to respond, no. I don't want room for cream. I want you to fill that thing all the way up. I don't give you three inches of sugar and cream. No, fill it up. And his idea here is that cup, y'all, is full. The past is enough. There's nothing else can go into this cup. You have filled it up with a bunch of garbage it's done. And, and the second reason why, he says, get the dog. The second reason, he says, choose, arm yourself for suffering, is that cup is full. Enough is enough. Some of you got saved when you were you know, young and you never had the kind of time of wandering and praise God. You don't have a, you don't have a t- your testimony is like John the Baptist. It's great, without the, without the locusts, right? Everything clean and nice. And the rest of us got saved later in life. And we had all sorts of garbage all sorts of things that we're looking back and like, what was I thinking, right? And what he's saying is, that's right, that cup is full. Jesus suffered physically so that you would be done with sin, church. That's the point. Yes, he died for the penalty of our sin. Praise God, he died as our substitute, our propitiation of God's wrath. He satisfies his own wrath towards us. Praise God that the penalty of our sin has been removed. But he didn't just save us from the penalty of sin. He wants to save you from the power of sin in your life right now. And he says, it's enough. That cup is full. That's the point. And so the question we got to ask this morning, I got to ask is, what are you still pouring in your cup? You still pouring stuff? Some of these things? I mean, look at this list. It's, it's, it's amazing how 2,000 years hasn't changed anything. The time has sufficed. Uh, to doing what the Gentiles do, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. This is where there used to be. This is the lives they were living. This is the lives some of y'all. Let's be honest. This is Athens on a Saturday, is it not? I mean, you could be, oh, no, not in Athens. Yeah, in Athens. This is Athens, okay? It's River Street at 2 a.m. It's everywhere, and we got to ask ourselves, are we, pouring our, are we pouring sensuality in our cup? And I'm not talking about God is pro-sensuality in the context of marriage. He's like, yes, sir. He wrote a whole book of the Bible about it called the Song of Solomon. He is pro-sensuality 
in the context of marriage. What he's talking about here is anything, and I mean anything outside the context of one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage, period. End of story, have a nice day, right? That's that, in a way that's destructive, that's worshiped, that's, and I'm talking friends with benefits, I'm talking Snapchat, naked pictures, I'm talking pornography, I'm talking a little flirty, flirty at the office. I'm singles, I'm talking to you. Listen to me, listen to your pastor, okay? Any physical relationship outside the context of husband and wife is what he's talking about. You say, man, Bill, you know, that's kind of, that seems kind of strict. I mean, you know, you seem like you're trying to get back to the 1950s. I'm not. I'm trying to get back to Ephesians 5. And he says, not even a hint of immorality must be named among you. I'm trying to get back to 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. And the question I always get is, well, Bill, how far is too far? Don't ask me that question. But if you do, I'm going to say this. You know, back in, you know, when I was in, eight, you know, in elementary school, it was like, oh, first base, second base, third base, right? That's like kind of, you know, was kind of the vernacular. I don't even know what they use now, so I don't care. But here's the idea. No base. Here's the idea. The, the only way you should be on the field is if you're on the team. And you ain't on a team unless you put a ring on it. Okay? So if you put a ring on it, you can get on the field and you can play ball. But if you aren't on a team... You're in the parking lot eating hot dogs, trying to find a way onto the team. That's what Ephesians 5 means. And I'm not trying to be prudish or 1950s. I'm trying to guard your marriage. Because here's the thing, single folks, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus and your future spouse. And you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get married. Fine, it belongs to Jesus then. Either way, he says, I want you to control your bodies and self-control. And so that's where sensuality, that's where he's going. Passions is a word for whatever you want that you don't have. You want your neighbor's, you know, car, golf car, job. You want your boss's authority. You want to look like them, whatever. What, what he's saying is enough. Enough with the sensuality. You lived like that before. You lived for a 401k before. Now you know that that 401k is going to burn. It's Bitcoin. It doesn't exist. It's on a computer. It's not going to be around. It's monopoly money. It's enough. And he, and he kind of hits social sins, right? Drunkenness, orgies, debauchery, drinking parties. It's just those things you would do when you're with a bunch of people that you might not do when you're alone. That, that group of friends that you go out with and you just act a fool. You have way too many uh, drinks on the golf course. You act in a certain way. You talk in a certain way. You, you dress in a certain way where you have to hide the clothes from your parents because they would never let you out the house. But then you were this group of people. Whatever it is, that's what he's talking about. Whatever you feel that pull. Well, let me just say again, and I'm not trying to be harsh on the young people because older folks, you're just as guilty. There is, you have no business being at drinking parties. I'm just telling you, Christian. I'm not talking about a place where people are having a glass of wine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where there's red cups and ping pong bowl, balls and someone's keeping score. All right, where people are throwing up outside. That's what I'm talking about. There's nothing good there. There's just nothing good that happens at those things. Immorality happens. Damage happens to young ladies usually. Sometimes death happens. Right? And I get... 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there. Yes, I am. Okay, so this is what I hear from our, our college students. I've heard it from, uh, from someone. Well, I'm just gonna be the designated driver. Well, aren't you so sweet? Aren't you so sweet? I mean, we have so many sweet college students that are all, all I mean, you could, you could, there's enough designated drivers at some of these parties. You could have a Bible study while everyone's getting bombed. Uh, you know what? That's why God created Uber. You stay home. Play Call of Duty. I don't care. Skip the drinking parties. All right? Uh, serious. It's, it, where, you, where you put yourself sometimes, it's just, it, it, it's not good. What you put in front of your eyes. Sensuality. Na- you watching shows with naked people running around? You think, you think that's innocent? It's not. Well, it's just art. Okay, get a coloring book. <laughs> you don't need to see naked people. It's not good for your soul. Right? He says, the point is, it's enough. Enough. Abominable, there are abominable idolatries. Enough. You fill that cup up. Let me speak one more, th- one more thing. I, I said it at the first service, so I only say it at the second service. Um, and this is, again, to the, to the younger generation uh, who, for some, I, I don't know when it became cool or not, but this, this concept with y'all, some of y'all young folks, college students, high school, young singles, uh, that drugs is cool. Uh, I'm not trying to be Nancy Reagan from the 80s, you know, you know don't do drugs, okay? Although well, I appreciated the whole egg. This is your, you know, this is drugs, your brain on drugs, any questions, right? Maybe we need those commercials again. But here's the thing. I, what I see in the younger folks, you high school, college, even young adults, is, is there's this idea that, that it's, it's cool, that drugs are cool. And if you could see behind the curtain into some of the devastation and the effects that we see as pastors of addiction and, and abuse, you would not think how cool it is. Because I have seen 20-year-olds that are hooked and they cannot get off because your brain is not even developed till you're 25 and you're frying the few brain cells you have because you're at a party and everyone's sniffing something or doing a line of something or smoking something. Please, Please, I'm just begging you, that cup is full, right? It's just, it's, if I, I could bring family and parent up of parent and parent up to tell you the devastating effect of addiction. I'm just telling you. And some of you know, because this is your story, so praise God, God's redeemed you. Just listen to me, young people. I'm not trying to be your dad or your, your principal. I'm trying to be your pastor. I care about your future. Flee it. That cup is full. I don't care what you hear in the music and on TV and Hollywood. Yeah, those people are not your models. They're miserable, most of them. They really are, right? The point is Jesus died so that you would be done and don't run back to the very thing he freed you from. It's, it's like this proverb says, it's like a dog who returns to its vomit. You and I both know if you've had a dog, the worst sound to be woken up to in the middle of the night, it is not a burglar. It's not, it's that you know, you know that sound? You know that sound. You all do, I know. And here's the thing, it's three in the morning. You just let it happen. And, and you're like, I'll get it in the morning. It's not gonna change anything. And here's the beauty of that. You go in the morning and guess what? It's gone. Why is it gone? Because that dog that just woke you up by licking your face ate the puke. They ate the barf. And we're like, that's gross. And that's what the Bible says is you running back to your porn. 
You running back to your booze, you running back to your foul mouth, you running back to your idolatry worshiping money is just like that dog licking that nasty barf. And so Jesus is saying it's enough. The cup's full, y'all. The cup is full. And when you, when you have that arms mindset, when you arm yourself for that, just remember this. This is the promise. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join with them. They're gonna be, they're gonna be people who be like, what and happened to Fowler? Like when I was at the Citadel, remember I was foul mouth Fowler? I mean, I was out. Anybody want to go out? No, I'm out. I'm go. But after I get saved and people, Fowler, you want to go? No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't do that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. The call stopped. It's the way it is. You got to arm yourself for that. They'll malign you because you're not running with them anymore because sin loves community. You don't, no one wants to sin alone. So understand, that's going to happen. You will be maligned. When you are evident, you're going to get hit. Right? When they see it, here's the problem, I think, for some of us. When he says, they're surprised. Some of you don't want your friends, your family, your coworkers to be surprised. Well, you're not willing, you're not willing to make them surprised, right? You're not willing to stand out. And I'm not talking about because you're obnoxious and you're beating people with your King James Bible. I mean, that you, because you're saying no to sin, right? And so he's reminding you, hey, this is what I've called you to, right? Your girlfriend needs to know that you're a follower of Jesus. Your boss needs to know because of the way you live that you're not gonna cheat the books. You're not gonna do this. You're not gonna lie because you're a follower of Jesus. Your teacher needs to know that they can trust you and you're not gonna cheat if they leave the room because you're a follower of Jesus. Your friends, all these things. And if they malign you, if they attack you, here's what Peter says. And they're going to, (laughs) okay? They may kick you out of the fraternity. They may dump you. They may John Rogers you and put you to death. But here's what he says. They will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Jesus says, I got this. You don't worry about it. I got it. Jesus later in the gospels tells us, don't fear man who can kill you. That's all they got. They can kill you. Fear God who can kill you and throw you into hell. That's the one you fear. And this is the idea. One day they will give an account. They will face Jesus. This is a sobering verse, by the way, for those who are outside of Christ, is it not? Because I know they'll, oh, Jesus will never judge anybody. Jesus doesn't judge. Well, Peter says Jesus is ready. He's ready. That's a sobering, sobering statement. Now, does he offer forgiveness? Absolutely, but he will judge and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. And if he was physically here, he's, Jesus is here with us, but if he was standing here preaching this sermon, you know what he would say? Unapologetically, with love and compassion in his heart, he would say, get the dog. There's no apology. I'm sorry I've put you in a bad place, Christian. What he would say is, I hung on a cross for you so that you would have eternal life. Uh, I will never leave you, forsake you. I've given you everything you need according to life and godliness by my spirit. I will never abandon you. And I'm even praying for you. I'm interceding for you right now at the right hand of my father. And I love you. But get the dog. This is what we do. This is who we are. No blinking, no hesitation, not feeling sorry, right? This is who we are. And one day I will reward you. So get the dog. It proves who you are. Get the dog because it's been enough. The cup is full. And one more thing real quick. He closes verse six. 
Again, keyword four. He's explaining what he just said. He's ready to judge the living and the dead. Why? For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. That though they are judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And, and that's a little confusing and there's been all sorts of interpretations where some people said, well, God gives people a second chance to believe after they died and he goes and preaches. That's inconsistent with the rest of scripture that says it's appointed for men to die once and then comes judgment. It's some people always talking metaphorically, those who are dead spiritually, like kind of Paul in Ephesians 2, but he's been, he's been very literal. So we're not talking about dead. It, it's very simplistic. The idea is this. Those who are dead are the people who were followers of Jesus and now they're dead because Christians die too. It's part of the curse of sin. You have about a 100% chance of dying. Pretty, pretty. There's only two guys that didn't, Elijah and Enoch, and you're not one of them. And they were Old Testament saints. Everyone else has died. He says the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though they're judged in the flesh the way people are, death, that they might live in the spirit. Notice he uses the language What was preached to them? The gospel. That's the good news. What is the gospel? Just real simplistic. That Christ died for sins. Is that it? That's not the whole gospel, is it? That's 50% of the gospel. If you say, what's the gospel? Jesus died for my sins. That's true halfway. What's the second half? Christ died for my sins and what? He rose again. If not the resurrection, there's no good news. If without the resurrection, you might as well bow down to Kirby because that's all you got. And that's a bad God. But you might as well worship what you want because that is not, that, there's no God. But Christ died for sins and he rose again. And now we are united with Christ in his death, Romans 6, and what? And his resurrection. And so what he's saying here is this. He, he's saying, yeah, you're gonna, people are gonna die. But that's not the end for the Christian. That's just the beginning there's, and, and what really matters, the big thing that matters is what? It's not, the, it's not the before, it's what happens after. Because that's what? Eternal. That's forever. They're gonna, you're going to live in the spirit the way God does. And so what he's pointing them to is, you know why it's worth now to get the dog, even though it's going to be cleaning up and nasty and hard and all these things? He says, because your future is bright. So bright, you got to wear shades, right? You knew it was coming. This is where you're going. This is where it's all going. Do you think John Rogers is in heaven right now thinking, I guess I really shouldn't have translated the Bible into English. Man, I should have just left it in Latin. Do you think, do you think Peter's like, man, I should have just stayed fishing. I mean, they crucified me upside down. That was pretty bad. You think anyone's in heaven thinking, oh my word, I wish I would have had more followers on Instagram. I wish my 401k would have grown a little bit more. I wish I would have had a nicer boat. I wish, I wish, I wish I would have had this. I wish I would have traveled more and I've seen the world. You kind of got all eternity to see the new heavens and the new earth. I think you'll have time. No one is thinking about, oh, I should have this or they didn't like me. You know what they're doing? They're enjoying unspeakable joy forever and ever. And this is why Peter keeps using that little phrase, if you have suffered for a little while, it's a little while, it's a little while if necessary, because eternity is a lot of while, right? So think about that. That's where it's going. You have a salvation that is protected by the power of God through faith. You have an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, reserved for you. That's where he's been going. Get the dog. Get the dog. It's going to be worth it. It proves who you are. Cup is full. 
And this is where you're going. I saw a, an interview this week, saddened me. It was uh, Stanley. I'm a Marvel guy. And so if you're a Marvel guy, you know who Stanley is, right? And it was just, he's passed away. And it, it was sad because they, the guy was asking, what do you think happened? Are you scared to die? He said, no, I'm not scared to die. He said, well, what do you think happens after? He says, nothing. You just, you're done. You just don't exist. And they talked about that for a minute. And then he said this. This is, this is so sobering. He said, but this is kind of what confuses me and, and, and scares me a little bit. He said, I will not exist for, for eternity. See, eternity is written in man's heart because we're made in the Imago Dei. So he has a concept of eternity, but his, he's wrong in that he thinks, I'm just gonna be done and I will not exist for all eternity. No, he does exist for all eternity. You exist in one of two locations for all eternity, with God in heaven or separated from God in hell. That's the reality. And, and, and I don't know what happened to Stanley before he died. I, I got no clue. But I would say this to him if I, could, if I could speak to him in that interview. You're not gonna just not exist. You'll be somewhere. And I take Pascal's wager if, if I have to. I may not know, but I'm gonna gamble that God is real and I'm gonna trust him. Because if I'm wrong, then I lose nothing. And if I'm uh, right, then I gain everything. And that's what my encouragement to you would be today. All right. Have you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Not gone to church, not get baptized, not give money. I don't care about all those things. Do you believe that you are a sinner separated by God, from God because of your sin and that he took your punishment, he took your penalty, he died on a cross for your sins in your place and then on the third day he rose again being declared a son of God in power so that you could live forever? It's the good news. Have you done that? If you have questions about that, We'd love to talk to you because if you're not certain, absolutely, I'm in. I, I have eternal life. If something happens to me today, I know I'll be with Jesus. Why? Because what he's done, then we want to talk to you because that's the most important. Nothing else matters. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care how big your 401k is. In 100 years, no one cares. But in 100 years, you'll care what you did with Jesus. You will. And in a million years, you will. In a billion years, you will. In a quadrillion, whatever, gazillion years, you will. Because you'll be around. You'll just need to be still in unspeakable joy or separated. And so that's a choice for you. Let me pray. Uh, and we'll move to worship. And here's what I would say. If you've been filling your cup with some cream and sugar that don't belong, it's time to let that cup be full. It's time to repent. And the beauty of the gospel is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us. If you've been ashamed a little bit to acknowledge, identify with Christ publicly. She says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Right? Tell me time, maybe it's time to, to get the dog. Maybe some of you need to actually get a dog and get rid of your cat. That's another story, but it's time to get the dog and let's make that choice. So why don't you stand, let me pray. Wherever you're at, respond as the spirit leads. Father, thank you for the simplicity of what it means to follow, to, to trust. I pray for our church that we're not perfect. Lord, we are prone to wander. I am prone to wander. And so help us to follow faithfully and trust you uh, and turn back to what you have called us to do. Be your light and your salt. In Christ's name I pray.